morning, God is good. Amen? Come on, amen? God's good. Well, good morning, church. Um, man, it's an honor to be up here. Um, I'm not used to this many people. I'm used to like 20 kids sitting like right here, and you're not kids, and there's a lot more than 20 of you. So, forgive me, uh, but man, it is, it is such a privilege and an honor to be up here. Um, if you don't know me, my name is Corey. Hey. Um, Pat, hey. I wasn't saying hey to you. My last name is hey. But thank you for somebody who did that. Um, I'm Pastor Scott's youngest son. Um, this is my beautiful wife, Kaylee. She's incredibly talented. Yeah, give it up for her, right? Uh, but we serve here uh, at Connections Church, obviously. Uh, I'm on the worship team, I'm the drummer, and, and Kaylee is an incredible uh, worship leader, vocalist. Um, and we also serve as youth pastors here with Justin and Shelby, who are right over there, if you want to say hey. Yeah, those incredible people. Those are like the most awesome people I've ever met in my life. But um, again, we are, we are super thankful and honored to be up here. Uh, as a few, about a month ago, I would say that uh, Pastor Scott came to us and let us know that June 6th would be Youth Takeover. And what we, what we didn't know at the time when we uh, were thinking about this was back in December, we planned a, a car wash that happened yesterday as a fundraiser for our student camp. And it just happened to land that we picked June 5th for that day. And then June 6th ended up Youth Takeover weekend. So the whole weekend is all about us. No, I'm just kidding. But it just all worked out and it was perfect. But when he came to us and he let us know, you know, we've been in this whole uh, family series and he thought the best way to close it out was obviously save the best for last and youth, right? Come on. Um, but he, he gave us the title of The Truth About Youth. And what was funny was we all had these different ideas all kind of going in our head. He had one, she had one, I had one, and they all kind of just flowed together. And so when he, he gave us that title, we were like, yeah, that's it. We got it. And so we came up with the truth about youth and, and a subtitle of King Josiah Generation. And so, again, like I said, I'm used to preaching to about 20 students, and you, you got to give me some, some vocal this morning. You guys with me? If you're with me. If you're with me, give me a big, yeah. yeah. Wow, that was cool, that was cool. Um, but yeah, for sure. So uh, I wanna start off by uh, giving you some things that we asked some students uh, in our church. We asked them th some things and, and said, what are some truths or some things that are spoken over you, are said about you or your generation or youth or students or teenagers in general? And I wanna list off some of those for you. Sadly, some of these aren't the most positive things in the world, but I want to bring these to your attention. These are uh, some of their responses. Uh, number one, that we don't try our best. We goof off. We never pay attention. We're all stupid. We can't do anything for ourselves. We don't worship God. That every single person in our generation is lazy or messed up. We're disrespectful. We're rude. And... Church, I want to make sure you understand, these were coming out of these kids' mouths. This wasn't just a poll that we took online and random kids all over the world answered, like, this is in our own church, in this building with us right now. And I want to, I want to make sure you understand that because I think one thing that we're all guilty of doing is, is we take advantage of these students. We take advantage of who they really are and, and what they're capable of. And the truth is, our discouraging words that we're speaking over them right now as they're growing up and becoming teenagers, it's already setting them up for a path of failure. If we're, if we're constantly pouring in that they're failures, they're lazy, disrespectful, rude, they're stupid, 
whatever. It's just laying a line of just failure, right? And so I want to turn to Second um, Kings chapter 22. If you have your Bibles, turn there. Uh, take your time. Hurry up. Um, but we'll be there this morning. Um, and if you don't know what's going on here where we're picking up, we're talking about King Josiah. King Josiah was eight years old when he became king. How many of you have been an eight-year-old before? Everyone raise your hands. You've been an eight-year-old before. Yes, you have. I was an eight-year-old once, believe it or not. Um, and I don't think that I took showers on a regular basis. I think I refused to take showers on a regular basis when I was eight years old. My mom is nodding her head very, very violently. Like, I don't think I had what it takes to be a king of a nation at eight years old. That's just crazy. But um, a little backstory to, to Judah, if you don't, I mean, not Judah, Josiah, if you don't know, um, his grandfather Manasseh was king of Judah. He was a pretty bad guy. Um, his son Amon um, was truly a, another terrible person. So already, Josiah was going into this kingship over Judah with a terrible family legacy set before him. And so he was coming into just negativity already. And so I want to pick up in verse 1. Josiah was eight years old when he became king, and he reigned in Jerusalem for 31 years. Verse 2 says, He did what was right in the eyes of the Lord and followed completely the ways of his father David, not turning aside to the right or to the left. In the 18th year of his reign, King Josiah sent the secretary Shaphan, son of Azaliah, the son of Meshalam, 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 to the temple of the Lord. He said, go up to Hilkiah, the high priest, and have him get ready the money that has been brought into the temple of the Lord, which, sorry, I just lost my place, which the doorkeepers have collected from the people. Have them entrusted to the men appointed to supervise the work on the temple, and have these men pay the workers who repair the temple of the Lord. The carpenters and the builders and the masons also have them purchase timber and dress stone to repair the temple. But they need not account for the money entrusted to them because they are honest in their dealings. So already we can tell. King Josiah, again, he came into this family line of just bad people. He kind of had a bad image set before him as he was going into this kingship. But he came in, he was ready, motivated to, to be obedient to God, to listen to what God is asking him to do, and also to defeat this, this legacy of negativity that was spoken over him and left. Verse 8 picks up and says, Hilkiah the high priest said to Shaphan the secretary, I have found the book of the law in the temple of the Lord and have entrusted it to the workers and supervisors at the temple. Then Shaphan the secretary informed the king, Hilkiah the priest has given me a book. And Shaphan read from it in the presence of the king. When he heard, when the king heard the words of the book of the law, he tore his robes. I, I worked really hard on these names, guys, so you're just going to have to forgive me. How many of you, like, read the Bible and you, like, read these names and you're like, and then you, like, look up on Google and then, like, you hit the audio? That's what I did, guys. How amazing is it to have the Word of God, right? Yeah, you guys are going to have to be like loud, okay? How amazing is it to have the Word of God? Right, I know, it's amazing. And the hearing of God's Word had such an impact on Josiah. And if you guys don't know um, what Corey just read, the tearing of clothes was actually a traditional expression of just like 
horror and astonishment. It was an expression of just like, he was just beside himself, right? Like he just, he just tore his clothes. This is ridiculous. And not just for Josiah, but Jacob did it when he mourned his son. Job also did it in one of the hardest times of his life. High priest, Elijah. I mean, there's a lot of people in the Bible, if you don't know that, tore their robes when things happen. And the book of the law that they had found had been kind of thrown to the side. It was neglected. It's definitely not how like we treat Bibles today. Like we kind of make sure like it's not that dusty. It's not in a wet area. It's not going to be in the bathroom where you take a shower and the fog hits it and it's going to like wilt. Like we kind of protect it, right? And his parents and grandparents had, had let him and the entire nation down. And, and going forward from that, King Josiah felt convicted, right? When I read about King Josiah, I see this, this spirit-driven, on fire for what the Lord wants kind of guy. I mean, he's just angry. He is just beside himself that the word was neglected for so long. And, and he takes immediate action, right? And that's the thing about King Josiah. I mean, he's like, nope, I'm going to do something about this conviction that I feel that, that my parents and my, my grandparents did. And so it made me think, how many of us have felt conviction, right, about something, even thought about action, but we just don't do it, right? We just, just don't do it. We just know, but we don't do it. Maybe parents in the room, maybe you know and you understand what you have to do, right? Maybe you are fully aware. How many times have you gotten up and you said, nope, today's the day. We're going to make healthy boundaries. We're going to make family prayer time a thing. We're going to make family devotion time a thing. We're going to make a, a prayer time each and every night for me and my spouse, right? And then daily life hits, storms hit. And you're like, oh, we'll just do it tomorrow. You know, I'm just tired. And days go on, and then your kid starts to realize, wait, we're, we're, not, we're not doing what you guys said we were going to do. Um, and then at that point, what do we do when we try to make a change and we start to fade away? We as humans, we feel convicted, right? We feel like, man, like... I feel bad. Like, even my kids notice how inconsistent my relationship with Jesus is. Like, maybe I should just give up, right? Conviction is from God. But I want to tell you guys, condemnation is just straight from Satan, right? Condemnation drives you to despair, but conviction leads you to repentance. The devil wants to condemn you. He wants to tell you, oh, you didn't read your word today? Maybe you should just give up, right? He wants you to feel that you should give up and that it's hopeless. He wants you to feel, well, your kids will just get it at church. It's fine. You don't need to do this at home. But Jesus wants to place conviction, not condemnation, but strictly conviction on you so you can turn back to him. So you have an opportunity to turn back to them. So if you're taking notes this morning, I want you to write this one thing down. Everybody ready? Conviction is a launch pad to being more like Jesus. Not condemnation. Jesus doesn't condemn you. 
Conviction is a launch pad to being more like Jesus. So it goes on to say, he gave these orders to Hilkiah the priest, Achim son of Shaphan, Akbor son of Micaiah, Shaphan the secretary, and Isaiah the king's attendant. Go and inquire of the Lord for me and for the people and for all Judah about what is written in this book that has been found. Great is the Lord's anger that burns against us because those who have gone before us have not obeyed the words of this book. They have not acted in accordance with all that is written there concerning us. And Josiah was so under the conviction of sin. Josiah knew that the kingdom of Judah deserved judgment from God. He could not hear the word of God and and respond to the spirit of God without seriously confronting the sin of the kingdom. And Josiah's heart, I love Josiah's heart, it was tender, right? It was tender to the word of God and, and it was able to receive the convicting voice of the Holy Spirit. And Josiah could have fell into the influence of how Manasseh and Amon acted, right? He could have heard about them, he could have known about them, and he could have just fell, fell in, into how they acted, right? And into what they did. And influence can be a good or bad thing. How many of you agree it can be good or bad, right? A lot of times the way you act, what you do, the way you speak, your mannerisms, and, and so much more, it has an influence on your children, right? And it's going to ultimately pass down to them. If you read your Bible every day and you, and you make time to do devotion every morning at 8 o'clock, and it's, oh, mom, I don't want to. No, we're doing devotion at 8 o'clock. Most likely, they're going to grow up and they meet a husband or wife. Devotion's at 8 o'clock, by the way. It's going to pass down, right? I love my parents, personally. But, they, <laughs> I didn't mean to say but, but they, they pass down a lot of things to me, right? The way they talk, the way they serve, the way they worship, how they handle things. How many times my parents or somebody has told me, you worship just like your mama. It passed down. I can't help it. I watched my mom worship her whole life. That's how I worship now. I can't help it. Definitely in my years, I've seen a lot of my parents in me. Unfortunately, a big thing (laughs) that they passed down to me was a terrible memory. A terrible memory. Bless my mom's heart. Memory is just not a gift that God has given her or me. So I'll tell you a funny story. I can't remember how old I was. I was young enough to shop in Justice. How many of you remember that store? Yes. I think it's closed now. I don't even think they are even open anymore. We were at the register, and the lady at the register said, how old is your daughter? What is your daughter's birthday? And my mom said, um, April 29th, 1993? It was a question. It wasn't even a statement, guys. It was a question. So that's the first problem, okay? And the lady looks at me, and she's like, 1993? My mom's like, 93? Yep, yep, 93, yep. And I said, Mom, I was born in 1998. And she was like, something happened in 1993. And I said, 
you got married in 1993. <laughs> Clearly, memory is just not a good trait that they passed down to me. Unfortunately, but seriously though, what you do now, what your kid sees now, it's gonna most likely affect how they choose to live their life. And if you don't accustom them to, to going to church every week, uh, showing them what worship looks like, showing them what kingdom building looks like, showing them what getting in your prayer closet looks like, how can we expect them to know it, how to do it themselves? How, do we, how, how can we sit there and say, man, these kids are just terrible. They just don't even worship. Do you worship? How can, how, I, I'm sorry guys, but how can we train them into being who they want to be if we don't do it ourselves? We need to be someone who our youth and our kids can look to and pattern their life after just like Josiah did. He followed exactly how David did, and he lived in strict obedience, right? Jesus is looking for, for people to, to step up to the plate in your home and in your prayer life and, and in your worship time, in your daily routines, and so is this generation. And you guys may think, well, I don't have a teenager. I'm fine. Mm. Hey, these youth are looking at you. It doesn't matter if you don't have a teenager or if my kids are at, you know, not here or, you know, I don't have any kids or I'm too old. You know, these kids are looking at you. They're looking up to you. It doesn't matter. It really got me thinking about to step on some toes. What if this generation gets all of these assumptions of laziness, not willing to worship, not serious in the relationship with Jesus, what if they got it from us? I didn't hear none that time. <laughs> I mean, all they see is us. They see us walk. They see us talk. If my students don't see me worship, do you think they're going to worship? Absolutely not. I will. I am more than welcome. I will stand up here and I will look like an idiot, but that's okay. That's fine. When we were preparing this message, all I could think about was what people thought of Josiah. And personally, if it were me living in that time, I would bust up in my BFF's house and say, did you hear who, knew, who the new king is? Who? Josiah. Jo Josiah. Jo Josiah. Did you hear about his grandpappy? Hold, we talking about the same Josiah? Josiah. Josiah. Did you know who his grandpappy was? I know his grandpappy. He knows his daddy. Oh, we toast. Girl. Mm -mm. We're done. We're done. That's how that conversation would go. If I were living in that time, I would be like, um, I don't, I, I don't know. Yeah, I, I don't know. And so when my mom and dad were youth pastors, they had full faith, full confidence in their youth. Absolute full faith. And a lot of them obviously straight in their own path. But there was one specific student that my dad picked up every Wednesday. They did everything together. I mean, he constantly poured into him and poured into him, gave him opportunity after opportunity. And he knew fully well who this student was, how he lived his life outside of church. And there were so many times where people would come up to him and say, man, you're blind. You have no idea who this student is. You have no idea how he lives his life. 
Like you have, you, I mean, he's terrible and you're giving him an opportunity. And let me tell you, my dad never hesitated. And he said, I, he always responded with, I'm not blind. I'm not stupid. I know what he does outside of church. But what I do see is I see full potential in him. I see full potential in, in him and who he can be. So I'm not going to stop pouring into him. I'm not going to stop believing in him. I'm not going to stop. And that very youth, youth student today, he has a beautiful family, and he's a senior pastor at a growing, flourishing church. And it's, it's not that my dad is just, oh, this, you know, he's amazing. Yes, my dad is amazing. But he consistently poured into him. He said, I don't care what you do this weekend, but right now, when you're, when you're in my care, I'm going to pour into you. I, if you cut up in, in, in youth that's okay. I'm going to continue to pour in you and I'm going to continue to believe in you. What if my dad was like, well, you're right. You know, I do kind of see what he does outside of church. I, you know, I probably should just give up. He probably won't amount up to anything. He probably, he really does cut up in church. He's kind of annoying. You know, what if, what if he listened to them? My dad was probably the only one, the biggest one to help push him into believing how much true potential he actually has. A big thing about our youth, and not just youth here, but kids in general, they tend to get consumed with what people say about them. And so I want to bring it on a lighter note, and I want to list off some actual truths about youth that we as their youth pastors and, and friends see them as. Are you guys okay if I do that? Yeah? Number one is they're dedicated, right? They're dedicated. Man, we're on Wednesday nights. We can just be like, we can give them the smallest thing. I bet you can't stack these 10 chairs in 30 seconds. Go. They're like, oh, bet. Bet. Oh, I'm, I'm going to stack these chairs. They're dedicated. They're going to stack them chairs, right? Number two is they're powerful. I was sitting with two of my guy students a couple Wednesdays ago, and I don't, do you, does anyone know what TikTok is? If you don't, you're living under a rock. TikTok. Sorry. TikTok is like the biggest app in the world right now. And the thing about TikTok is you, they could like make up a saying and they could post it and literally it would go viral and the whole world would be saying this saying. And it probably does not mean literally anything, but I was sitting there and they kept saying, no cap, no cap, bro, no cap. Yeah, that's cap. No, no cap. And I'm like, what are you saying? What, what are you saying? Is this a new language? What does that mean? What, is, what does no cap mean again? Truth. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's truth. Y'all, they're powerful. Number three, is they're aware that it's okay to feel, right? They have a heart. What I mean by that is most of this generation now is fully involved in, in helping things like mental health awareness be spoken about. I don't know if you guys have noticed that, but a lot of mental health now has actually really been blowing up. And as a person who struggles with her mental health, it is very refreshing to see it be actually brought out to the light. They're, they're comfortable and they're not ashamed to speak out about that. And the last one is they're, they're just aware. 
they're aware of how we live our life. They start to become more aware of how many times we miss church. They start to become more aware of how many times we, we miss our prayer time and our, our family devotion time. I had a student in the past ask me why a certain person from a church was a different person outside of church than they are in church. What do you say to that? They're aware. They're aware of what you post on social media. They're aware of what you do and how you act and how you dress. And if any of you guys don't take anything from this message, any note takers in here, I want you to listen to this last point that I have. By not being an example that we want our youth to live like, we are robbing them of a true relationship with God. Uh, as we come to a close today, I'm going to step on more toes if that's okay. If you, if, uh, if you get mad, call Robert. He's out of town. So you'd be like, who gave this kid a mic? Um, call him if you get mad at me. But uh, seriously, though, I, I want to um, ask you if, you if you'd bow your heads and close your eyes for me for just a minute. Um, I want to mention something to you that I, I failed to mention earlier um, when I was talking about these things that have spoken over our students. I had a student a few weeks ago, it was during Pastor Scott's message, he had a complete breakdown moment. And he came up here in tears. And I took him outside and I talked to him and I said, hey man, what's, what's going on? And he said, Corey, I just can't live like this anymore. I can't live in this negativity that is spoken over me every single day of my life. I want to choose the full, full abundant life that God gives me that he loves me, that he cares about me, that I'm adopted into his family, that I'm a son of God. Church, it's important that we feed life into these students. It's important that we fill their heads with positive things about how beautiful they are, how cared for they are, how loved they are, not just by us, not just by you as their parent, but by God, by their Father in heaven. I wanna ask you this morning, what legacy, and this is maybe more directed to you adults in the room, what legacy are you showing, setting up and leaving for the students that are coming up behind you? What habits are you doing in your home now that are positive habits like Bible studies or worship time or prayer time? What things are we doing to positively influence our youth? Instead of filling their head with all these things of how lazy and rude and disrespectful they are, why don't we fill their heads with how much God cares for them? Somebody better say something in here. If you can't tell I'm my daddy's son, I'm gonna I'm ask you to say something if you ain't gonna say it. What are we doing to teach them what a true relationship with the Father looks like? Are we teaching them that it's okay to come to church and stand with our hands in our pockets during worship? Are we teaching them that prayer is just something you do right before you eat dinner in the evenings and it takes about five seconds to complete? Or are we teaching them that worship looks like not caring what other people think about us, but worship looks like showing the Father how thankful we are for just the simple fact that we opened our eyes today, that we drove here in a car that we have a building to be in, that we have all of these things that we take for granted each and every day. Just the simple fact that you have a breath in your lungs is enough to return it to Him. 
We can't expect our students to know what a relationship with the Father looks like, feels like, sounds like, if the only time they have an opportunity to hear about God, worship God, speak about God, have a conversation about Him, read His Word, is once a week on Sunday morning, or maybe twice a week if you actually bring them on Wednesday night. Church, youth is so important. As a former youth in middle school and high school, it's terrifying. It is terrifying what they experience every day in school and what this world does to their brains and their minds. It's, it's awful. Why are we not filling them with the Spirit? Why are we not giving them every single opportunity they could possibly have to worship the Father? Somebody say something this morning. I don't have kids, I don't have kids of my own yet, but I do have about 20 to 30 teenagers that I care for just like my own. And, and one, one day I will have my own kids, I can't wait to tell them how good God is. I can't wait to tell them what he's done for me, what he's done for my wife, what he's done for my father-in-law right there is playing the keys for you this morning. If you don't know, he almost died. Was it five years ago, six years ago? He was literally on his deathbed. The doctor said he would never be the same again. And look at him now. That's, that's what I'm gonna fill my kids with, what I'm gonna fill these kids' heads with. Not hey, you're disrespectful and lazy and rude. You're not gonna amount to anything. I'm gonna fill them with God. So I wanna ask, if you're a student in this room, and we did this last week, if you're a student in this room, middle school, high school, college, or elementary even, I wanna ask if you boldly come down here. And I wanna ask you, parents, adults in the room, even if you don't own one of these kids, if they're not going home with you today, pray over them. We're gonna speak life into these kids because that's it's about time that we do something better for them. This world's already messed up enough from the adults that are here before us. We have a chance to change the next generation because if you don't know, these are the next presidents. These are the next police officers, the next medics, the next school teachers, the lawyers. The, this is them right here in front of you. So I ask if you would just begin to just pray over each and every one of these students and just speak life into their hearts. God, we thank you so much. We thank you so much for the opportunity to be here right now. Just the simple fact that we have breath in our lungs is enough to return it back to you. God, I pray for each and every student in this room, each and every student that's watching with us right now, that somewhere else are gonna hear this later, God. I pray life, I pray blessings over them, God. I pray that we as adults would feel so convicted to speak life into them instead of just all these derogatory things and just negative things that we say over them each and every day. Father, it's time for a new generation. Just like we were singing a minute ago, there's a generation rising. There's a fire coming to take our place and to lead this nation back to you, to lead this world back to you where we belong. 
So God, I, I just, again, thank you for this day. Thank you for the opportunity to be here, God. And I just, we can't thank you enough. We can't thank you enough. If you're here this morning, we're gonna, we're gonna worship one more time. And I don't know about you, but I wanna see a church that worships the Father. I wanna see a church that knows who he is, knows what he's done for us, and is ready to give him the thanks and praise that he deserves. Are you with me? Can you guys do that for me?